Let's be opening our Bibles up to the book of Acts. If you are, if you are uh, visiting with us, uh, welcome. We welcome you. Uh, we're just a church that tries to go by the Bible and, and be God's family. And so we like to have a lot of fun. We like to laugh and sing and go on retreats and that sort of thing. But mostly we like to get into the Word of God and learn from Him how to live, amen, how to be. So uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series, the book of Acts. We're walking through the book of Acts, trying to draw out from the Bible uh, what the message of God is for us today as His family, His church, as we study the first century church and the emergence of the church and the power of the Holy Spirit. The title of our series is Ordinary to Emboldened, the Spirit's Power in Us. And um, I do want to say, before we get into it, I want to say thank you to Eli, to Janssen, and Tim and Christine for the leadership of our youth and family ministry. It's so encouraging to have someone really love your kids. Amen? And uh, I know that they love my kid. I don't know if I was to say as much, but uh, I know they love them and have their best interest in mind, are working so hard to minister to them. Thank you for that, as well as Grayson and Ivy, who lead our campus ministry, uh, helping out with the teen ministry. And I love how we have multiple generations loving one another, reaching out to each other, encouraging each I don't know about you, but I need a lot of encouragement, amen? And uh, uh, we have multiple generations linking together to join arms, to to walk together uh, through life. So, amen, excited about that. Today's an exciting day. We get to worship God, get to study His Word, fellowship with one another, but we also get to see two souls added to God's number, as the book of Acts would say. Cassidy uh, from the teens. Stand up, Cassidy, if you would. Cassidy is being baptized today, as well as Meg from the campus. Meg, if you would stand up. Amen. These guys are so shy. Uh, but uh, uh, they have decided to make Jesus Lord, and that's not an emotional, uh, uh, re- reactive decision. They've thoroughly studied from the Scriptures what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to make Him Lord and be His followers, and to understand not just the blessings, but also the costs of that, and to die to their old life, be buried in the waters of baptism, raised to a new life, filled with the grace of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, uh, the forgiveness of their sins, past, present, future, amen, and uh, uh, to uh, follow Jesus and to be together. It's awesome. So excited for you guys. All right. Um, Let's review a little bit from the book of Acts so far. We have seen the Holy Spirit, and again, the Acts, the book of Acts really should be entitled not the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Amen? And so we see the Spirit come upon the apostles in Acts chapter 2. We see the gospel uh, shamelessly preached by the apostle Peter. 3,000 people repent and be baptized, added to their number that day. Wouldn't that be amazing to witness? Lives being changed because repentance just doesn't mean an emotional response of regret or or I'm sorry, it means a transformation, means a turning 
from whom you're following, following the ways of the world to the ways of God, following Jesus, being filled with the Spirit. And as a result, we see this glorious family. And that's what the church should be. It shouldn't be a place you go on Sunday morning to check off your religious box and then rush out. It should be a family. Amen? So what you see in Acts 2 is they sure they met on Sunday, but then they met on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday every day. They devoted themselves. That doesn't mean we come to the building here every day, but we meet for Bible study and prayer and Bible talk and discipleship groups and retreats and men's retreats and father, son, mother, daughter, and campus ministry, international. We're just together all the time, not because we have to, but because we want to. Can you imagine that, actually wanting to go to church? It's crazy. Radical. That's what we see. That's not just the people. That's the Holy Spirit. Amen? I have to constantly remember as I study this, it's not about the people. It's about the Spirit of God. This is what the Spirit builds in how He lives out. So then in Acts chapter 3, we see a cripple for 40 years healed. Healed. You know, you may be going through some hard things. You maybe have struggled things for a long time, but you've come to a place of healing today. Amen? Emotional, spiritual, God can heal us and change us by the power of Jesus. You know, uh, I'm reminded of, as we see these incredible things happen in the book of Acts, I'm reminded of Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Holy Spirit. What, what, what are these things? How are these things happening? It's not the strength of the people. It's not their commitment. It's not their devotion, though that's a great response. It's by the Holy Spirit. And I'm so excited about Grayson's class after church as well. And today's really going to talk about how to have this Holy Spirit's power live out in you. Um, so, But then we see that the Holy Spirit at work, but we see another spirit at work, the spiritual forces of evil, right? The church has always been opposed by Satan. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. But he also says, but forceful men lay hold of it, which means there's violent opposition also to the force of God. Amen? That's what we see lived out here. And so in chapter 4, and it's actually the religious leaders who are the most upset. Chapter 4, we see the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, oppose and try to intimidate the apostles and order them. They didn't have any authority to order them, but they tried to order. That's how forces of evil work, like the big bad bully, right? Like, if you don't do this, I'm going to... He doesn't. He can't say that. He doesn't have the authority to say that but they try to pull authority when they don't have it. And so they tried to intimidate them, the apostles, but the apostles refused to be intimidated. So we're not going to obey you. We're going to obey God. And they prayed, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, thanks to Travis and our verse up there. Isn't that awesome? Uh, he made those whole little things himself. Um, but he didn't write the verse, amen? Uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, they prayed, and they, were, they spoke the word of God boldly.
And so Acts chapter 5 comes, and we see opposition. Chapter 4, we see opposition number 1, intimidation. Chapter 5, opposition number 2, compromise, internal compromise. We talked about that last week. And we talked about how the Holy Spirit overcomes compromise through re- removing compromise. And the conviction, which is a, it's a, it's, it's an, it's a scary one, but the conviction is either that we, as the church, we remove compromise and bring it into the light, amen, or the Holy Spirit removes himself in due time. So compromise is just not tolerated by God because he's a holy God. And either, either we remove the compromise, not by being perfect, but by being open and humble. Amen? Or in time, if we tolerate compromise, whether it be on ourselves individually or collectively, if we tolerate compromise, then the Holy Spirit will have to remove himself. Um, but that's not what we want to see happen. Amen? Okay, so compromise is overcome. And so today we're going to talk about Opposition, method number three and four by Satan and the forces of evil. Number three is forceful and physical imprisonment and violence. So to get the church to stop, we're going to have to take up the heat, crank up the intensity of opposition, and not just threaten anymore, but physical harm and imprisonment and violence. And then... Number four, chapter six, one through seven, is distraction from within. If we can't stop it through physical violence, let's just get the church distracted with even good things that need to be done, and we'll slow it down. So that's our goal today, chapter five, verse 17 through six, verse seven, and we'll see how far we get. Okay, let's pick it up a little bit to bring in from the last time, chapter five, verse 12. So uh, Ananias and Sapphira... Sapphira are uh, uh, removed from the fellowship. And then verse 12, it says, The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. All the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. So this group is respected, but maybe a little different. And different always kind of scares people. Ooh, they're kind of different. I don't know about that, right? Um, <coughs> so highly regarded, though. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered, also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Good things, amen? Great unity, Great healing, great crowds, people becoming Christians. It's all good, but it's also all opposed. Verse 17, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Now you think, these are leaders of the people of God, the Israelites. If you see good things happening, if you see people being blessed, you would think the leaders would be, well, that's awesome, filled with joy. But they're not filled with joy, right? They're filled with jealousy. Jealousy is not a fruit of the Spirit. So there's another force going on. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the door, the doors of the jail, 
and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. This is kind of a synopsis of what's going to play out here. The Sadducees are upset. They put them in jail and in order to try to stop the apostles. But does that stop them? Does that stop God? Does the opposition from the forces of evil stop the will and the movement and the message of God? It doesn't. And that's why we say, but an angel comes. An angel comes, opens the door. Wouldn't you love to have been there? How cool would that be? Because it's well guarded. They're in chains. An angel comes and says, whatever. Open. You guys, come on. Just a little human, you know, in imprisonment. But God isn't stopped by that. I'm so much bigger than that. Let's go. And then he, he opens the door for them. And he, say, he brings them out. And he says, listen, here's what you do, guys. Go in hiding for a while till the opposition cools off. Just, guys, take it easy. You're so radical. Sheesh. Not all at once. These guys are jealous now. They're kind of hot-tempered. They got a temper about them. You'll see that in a minute. Just, just try to smooth it on him. Is that what the angel says? Is that how God rolls? Doesn't seem to be that way. He says, I tell you what, they said don't ever do this again. I tell you what, go tomorrow morning and stand right where everyone can see you and tell the message loud and clear. And they're like, oh, okay. Go stand and speak, and the Spirit is telling us the same thing today. Let's not try to be all smooth and slick with how we present the gospel. Go out, take your stand for God, and tell the message unashamed with all boldness. Amen? So look, listen to what they do. At daybreak. And I love how when we really obey God, we're going for it. Just like Abraham when he said, go I take Isaac and offer him on the mountaintop. When did Abraham do that? When he got around to it? No. A month later? Oh, yeah. Oh, I put it on my to-do list, but it was kind of down the list. At early the next morning. That's what faithful obedience of early next. So the early the next morning, the apostles went and did just that. Okay. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of the people of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. Okay, go get those guys. We're going to talk to them. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Hmm. And hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Yeah, like their life. That's what happened when someone got away on your watch. Not looking good for you. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are staying in the temple courts, teaching the people. Isn't that awesome? We couldn't find them in jail, but we find them preaching the word. Love it. At that, the captain went with the officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force yet because they feared that the people would stone them. 
Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Let's talk about this for a minute. So, so they're jealous, and now they're filled with fear. They're caught between the people are fired up, praising God, and yet we're angry and jealous, so we can't use force in front of the people because that would make us look bad. See, whenever we try to please people, we're trapped. Whenever we try to please man, we're trapped. And the only clarity is not to figure out which human should I please, but to please God alone. Amen? And let the chips fall where they may. That's what they... Now listen to this. I love this. It's very interesting. It says, we gave you orders not to do this, yet you you filled Jerusalem. Hey, isn't that our charge? Let's fill Eau Claire with the teaching of God. What would Eau Claire... How would our city do if it was filled with the teaching of Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit, would we, would we be better off or worse off? Absolutely. Let's fill the Chippewa Valley. Let's fill the state of Wisconsin. Instead of filled with alcohol, maybe we'd be filled with the Spirit and get some... No, I'm not going to say that. I mean, at, right there is a real dilly-dilly, huh? Okay, dilly-dilly. We joked about how maybe we should go from amen to dilly-dilly in the church, but probably not wise. Amen. I mean, let's move on. Okay. They're like, and this is very ironic. You're determined to make us feel guilty over this man's blood. And, and this is what we hear all today, right? You're shaming me. You're judging me. Stop judging me. Wait a second, let's backtrack about two months. Did not these same people say to Pilate, let his blood be on us and our children? They yelled it. They insisted on it. And now when actually it's coming upon them and someone's exposing this truth, they're like, you're determined to make me feel guilty. And oh, how this is what we find all the time with someone who's guilty. You're making me feel guilty. Oh, I'm sorry? Like, but you are. But I am, right? I love the people who kindly and respectfully make me feel guilty when I'm guilty. Right? There's a big difference between false guilt and true guilt. All right? Uh, uh, um, shame. I, I want to go to Proverbs 24 real quick. Because this is such a society thing about uh, guilt and judgment and all this sort of thing. Let me tell you, you may not have any greater friend than a true friend who says, I love you, I respect you, but the scriptures say you need to change. Listen to Proverbs chapter uh, 24. Any of you ever been kissed on the lips? Say, wait, where is he going with that? I'm just going where the Bible goes. Okay? Proverbs 24, verse 23, says this. These are the sayings of the wise. To show partiality in judging is not good. 
You know, the Bible doesn't say judge not. Now, it says at one point, do not judge lest ye be judged. In other words, and then it goes on to say, make a right judgment. But what the Bible does ab absolutely say is to show partiality or sentimentality in judgment. What if our criminal justice system all of a sudden gets all soft on crime? Oh, just forget about it. You had good intentions. Actually, you didn't have good intentions. Your intention was to commit a crime. That's why you did it, right? How would society do on a large scale if justice wasn't just? How would we do? Yet why do we want that for ourselves individually? Okay, but listen to this. It says, whoever says to the guilty, you are innocent. Peoples will curse him and nations denounce him. But it will go well with those who convict the guilty and rich blessings will come upon them. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Woo! Yeah! Kiss on the lips. We like that. Okay? Now, here's a friend who will be honest with you. I'm so grateful I have friends who will be honest with me when I'm guilty. Amen? And they'll be like, dude, you are, you need to apologize to your wife for that or your kids. I, have, I, have, I could tell story after story. One time I was getting angry with Jackson. Just irritated. You know, because I don't know, you can't remember. Left something somewhere or something. And I'm just, you know, as a dad, you just get, you know what I'm saying? Like, and you try not to let it out. <sighs> Take that deep breath, but it just comes out. They feel it, right? And uh, Jackson uh, uh, went over to the mooses. And he was just discouraged because I was exasperating him. And Chris Moose, who's a dear friend of mine and a dear friend of our families, the mooses love our kids as much as we do, I feel. And he's, Chris saw it, and he's like, what's going on, Jackson? And, just, and then Chris calls me. He says, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure. Um, how's it going? Fine! <laughs> Why are you asking? Because your real good friends, they know where to find you, right, when you're trying to hide? And he says, well, in... I can't remember exactly what he said, but he went on to, in essence, disciple me on my spirit. And I needed an honest answer. And it was a kiss on the lips. Well, not like it was, oh, I got weird. Okay, the answer was, over the phone, okay? All right? And when Jackson came with Jackson, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? See, that saves our family. If you have no one in your life who will give you an honest answer. The other day I preached something and said, bro, you kind of made it seem like this. So I was like, you know what, that's right. And I apologize the next time. We've got to have people in our lives. If we don't have honest answers in our lives, you're not getting any kisses. You know, it's really a dark place. Okay, let's go back to Acts chapter, Acts. it's a hopeless place. It's a hopeless place. 
And if you try to think, well, I'll just, I'll just handle that myself. Well, our hearts are deceitful above all things. We need friends in our lives. Okay, Acts chapter uh, 5, where are we here? Okay, oh yes, they're determined to make us guilty. Okay, Peter and the other apostles replied, verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter's response, a few sentences, four verses, he talks about God nine times. He mentions God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, or his pronouns, nine times in four verses. We're, when we're under the middle of intense opposition, potential persecution, how much do we talk about God? How much is our God talk on the the first fruits of our lips? Or do we try to just kind of ignore God? Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection gives us repentance, forgiveness of sins, and the Holy Spirit. Um, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the men of Israel, carefully consider what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his powers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census, led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. So in essence, what he's saying, listen, guys, Relax. Okay, I got to do. Aaron Rodgers, the Packers, R-E-L-A-X. Okay, I did it. Okay. Uh, relax. Calm down. And this is why we need older men and women in our lives who've been there, right? And what he's saying, listen, Jesus was killed. Sure, there's a little hubbub right now in Jerusalem, but it's probably just going to go by just like this guy, just like this guy, except what was the difference between Thutis and Jesus? Well, number one, Jesus is the Son of God, and he raised from the dead. I don't think Thutis probably did. Number two, what did Jesus then give after he ascended? The Spirit. I'm glad we got that. Okay? That's like the whole point of the next six months of what we're talking about. The Spirit. And so, does the, are the, is the movement, is the apostles just kind of scattering and doing nothing? Oh, they're getting scattered in Acts chapter uh, uh, 8, but they just continue to preach because of the Spirit. Amen? Um, so he says, verse 38, Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not, you will only find yourselves fighting. You will not be able to stop these men. You will only be, find yourselves fighting against God. How about us? Is our purpose or activity of human origin or is it from God? That's a question. Collectively and individually, we must continually ask and answer. Amen? How about your purpose? What was your purpose this last week? Your activity. 
Is it centered around human origin, your own purpose, going your own way, doing your own thing, worshiping the worldly, the, the, the idols of success, sex, sport, whatever? Is it, all, is it of human origin or is it of God? Long term, if it's of God, it won't fail. Not every moment, but long term. There's a long arc to this, right? But short term can be all kinds of things. Long term, if it's of human origin, it's not going to go well. Okay? We have to ask ourselves this. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they didn't just order them. Now they flogged them. Okay, guys, this is the first time in the book of Acts we see physical violence to try to stop. The messengers and the message, okay? But this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Let's look, I want to read Matthew chapter 10. Listen to these words of Jesus. This fear of physical violence, it didn't stop them because they were prepared for it by Jesus. Matthew 10, verse 17, Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. Exactly what Jesus said happened. Local council, Jerusalem council, and they will flog you in their synagogue. Exactly. Guys, everything that Jesus said exactly happens. That's the word of God. He tells, he not just is the truth, he tells the truth. This is the truth. You can bank your life on it. So if he says repent and have blessings, if you repent, that's what's going to happen. Everything he said to those apostles was going to happen, it happened specifically. And then he says, in verse, I want to skip down to verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Did the apostles back off from acknowledging Jesus before men out of fear of violence and pain? They didn't. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose I have come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And man's enemies will be the members of his own household. I remember when I decided to make Jesus Lord and to be baptized into Christ and be a wholehearted follower of Jesus. It was interesting how my family reacted. Angry, upset. What's, what's wrong with you? You're fine. All these kinds of things. Are you with me there? Sometimes our families weird out when we actually change. But when you stick with it, so I know some of you, you've decided to make Jesus Lord and sometimes fam families can react. When you stick with it, then over time, families usually relax and actually say, wow, can I get a piece of that? <laughs> Amen? Okay, so he says, anyone who loves his father, but this tests us. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me, it's not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take up his cross and follow is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose, and whoever loses his life 
for my sake, will find it. Now let's go back to Acts chapter 5 with how they respond to this flogging. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Huh? They Come again? They left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy. Do you see the connection? If you're ashamed of me, if you don't take up your cross, you're not worthy, but if you... If, you, if you're not ashamed, if you stand unashamed, and I got a cross to pay, so do you. And if you pay, you count the cost and you pay the price, you take up your cross, you're counted worthy. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer with Jesus. Worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped. They never stopped teaching, proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. See, this is the Holy Spirit. Amen? It's not Peter's and John's awesomeness. Their brokenness was fully revealed to us all through the Gospels. This gives us hope because it's not my courage. and It's the Holy Spirit in me that can work. The Holy Spirit's power in us takes us from ordinary broken, weak, shy, intimidated, fearful, insecure people to people who stand even in the face of severe flogging, imprisonment, and death to never stop teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the way, the truth, the answer. We're going to follow him. You know, uh, um, Despite intimidation, despite imprisonment, and despite personal violence, they never stopped. What's it take to stop us? What's it take to stop us? You know, I want to close with this. Uh, uh, um, John Stott, uh, in this commentary, talks about persecution. In, in, in expounding upon this, he says, The devil has never given up the attempt to destroy the church by force. Under Nero from 54 to 68 AD, Christians were imprisoned and executed, including probably Paul and Peter. Domitian, 81 to 96 AD, oppressed Christians who refused to pay him the divine honors he demanded. Under him, John was exiled to Patmos. Marcus Aurelius, 161 to 180, believing that Christianity was dangerous and immoral, turned a blind eye to severe local outbreaks of mob violence. Of course, mob violence, that's not dangerous, immoral. But those Christians who love each other, that's weird. That makes me nervous. Then in the third century, what had so far been sporadic became systematic. In other words, the persecution. Under Decius, AD 249-251, thousands died, including Fabian, Bishop of Rome, for refusing to sacrifice to the imperial name the last persecuting emperor before the conversion of Constantine. So when did all this shift was when Constantine was converted and now Christianity became legal. Does that make sense? And a lot of the persecution stopped. But the last guy before that, 284 to 305, he issued four edicts that were intended to stamp out Christianity altogether. Do you see the motive? 
Do you see the motive of the evil forces? We've got to stop this. We've got to stamp it out. It's the same evil forces at work today. It says, he ordered churches to be burned, scriptures to be confiscated, clergy to be tortured, and Christian civil servants to be deprived of their citizenship, and if stubbornly unrepentant. Now, I, I, I know I can be stubborn. Some of you who try to disciple me, you know that I can be stubbornly unrepentant. And there's a, there's a bad part of that, but there's a good part of that. And as a church, we must decide to be stubbornly unrepentant of holding back the good news of Jesus. Intimidate us, persecute us, kill us. We're not changing that. Now, I want to change my sin, but I'm not going to change the gospel, and I'm not going to change the preaching of the gospel. Amen and amen? It says, uh, if they decide to be stubbornly unrepentant, they would be executed. Tertullian, one of the church fathers at this time, addressing the rulers of the Roman Empire, cried out, and my point is not that it's Tertullian, not that it's Peter, not that it's Paul, but who is it? It's the Holy Spirit of God. He cries out, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust, which is exactly what they did. The more you mow us down, the more we grow. The seed is the blood of the Christians. Do whatever you need to do to us. We're not changing. We're not repentant. We're stubbornly unrepentant to obey God and not man. Amen? They never stopped preaching the good news that Jesus is the Christ. We're going to have to stop there. We'll, we'll get into our opposition number four, distraction from within. But I have a few conclusions as we prepare for communion. I want you to think about, as we remember Jesus, number one, is your purpose or activity of God or of man? If it's of God, it's unstoppable. Amen? Think about it, though. Number two, the Holy Spirit. How is the Holy Spirit opening doors around you, trying to bring you through them? Go, stand, and speak. Your brothers, Peter, Paul, these first century martyrs, they go, they stood, they went, they stood, and they spoke unashamed. Let us be, let us make them proud. The Holy Spirit is opening doors around you. And number three, never stop. Despite being intimidated, despite being laughed at by teens, your, your cohort, your classmates, calling them whatever you want, they want to call you, Bible freak or Jesus freak or whatever, college students, whatever kind of intimidation may come your way, co-workers, et cetera, et cetera, do not be intimidated. Whatever the pain, the suffering, um, never, let's never stop. Never stop preaching Jesus. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray as we prepare for communion.